Jesus is better, and we, sh- we, we, we have nothing to be in want of, because Jesus is, is better. And I think that is so true. Jesus is so much better. Well, we're in August, the end of our series on working our way through Acts. Man, can't talk, I guess. Working our way through Acts. uh, And here we are at the end. Last hour, um, my microphone is it on? Is it on? Good deal. Last hour, it was not on. I was walking like this, and and I looked out, and Jordan had this terrified look on his face. And Phil was right behind me, but I thought my zipper was down. So I thought, man, he is giving me, he's, 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 you know, he's helping me out, he's helping me out, but i got to figure out a way to turn around and zip that thing up. But just feel my battery was out, and so we're, we're good. And, was, and I had to reel it back in, it was, it was getting away from me. So, but my microphone's all that's good. We're, at the, we're in, at the end of our series in Acts. And we started at the beginning, I remember we started right after school let out, we've been working our way through the book of Acts, and here we are. Everybody's back to school or almost back to school, and, and uh, we're, we're closing it out. A few weeks in between that we took off, but we're closing out this series. We've flown through it probably entirely too fast. But the purpose of it, the desire that I've had, is to show you the movement of the gospel to every single corner of the earth. If you remember back in Acts chapter 1, Jesus is on the side, the risen Jesus, the risen Savior, is on the side of the hill with 120 adults, men and women, probably fewer than our people that are in here, myself included. Jesus stands up before us, probably fewer than us, and says, here's what I want you to do before I leave. I want you to be my witnesses. Somebody's writing this this down, like, okay, what is he going to say? I want you to be my witnesses, okay? I'm going to be your witness. Where? In Jerusalem. Okay, I think we can handle that. Judea. Wait a minute, Jesus, that's getting big. So no, I'm not finished. I want you to be my witnesses in Samaria. And they're like, what? Samaritans? See, I want you to be my witnesses to people that you think are inferior to you. I want you to take them the gospel, the good news, the Galeon. But I don't want you to stop there. This news, this good news, I want it to go to every corner of the globe. Red, yellow, black, and white. Rich and poor. Royalty and paupers. I want everybody to hear that I have risen from the dead. I am better than a list of rules. I am better than this, anything that this world has to offer. I want the good news to go to everybody. A few days later, uh, Peter stood up in the middle of Pentecost, in the middle of Jerusalem. He said, I've got news. Jesus has risen. And 3,000 people respond. And a couple days later, he gets up again in the middle of Pentecost. And he says, I've got good news. Jesus is risen. And about 20,000 people answer the call to have their sins forgiven. And it begins to spread to Judea, to Samaria. And then this guy, who was the the leading opponent of this movement known as the Way, the leading opponent, 
for stomping out this thing that would become known as Christianity comes in contact with the Savior of the world and his life is changed radically. He goes to the, the apostles, the people that were on the side of the hill with, with the risen Savior, and he said, hey, you got Jerusalem, you got Judea, you got Samaria, I got the rest of the world. And he did it. And in, the, in, a, in a matter of 35 to 40 years, just a little bit longer than I've been alive, an entire empire was turned upside down for the sake of the gospel. One generation. And the, this message went from 120 people on the side of the mountain to people all over Asia, all over Europe, all over the known world, worshiping a risen Savior. It was unprecedented. And it's never happened again since. So this morning we come to the end. Paul is in Rome, 2,997.4 miles away from where it all began. His desire was always to get to Rome. And here at the end of his life, it happens. Let me catch you up on the story. Paul is in Ephesus, and his desire is to get back to Jerusalem. For um, the Passover. And so he leaves Ephesus, he heads down to Jerusalem. When he gets there, the Jewish leaders are trying, uh, are trying to get him arrested. So they go to the Roman officials and they say, This guy, Paul, has just gotten into our city and he's trying to plan a, a, a revolt, a political revolt. Well, that always gets the Romans' attention. And so they go and they find this guy named Paul, they arrest him, and they bring him in, and they question him. Well, it becomes very obvious very quickly that that's a lie, that Paul has no intentions of doing that. But they don't know exactly what to do with him. So they take him, and they place him before the governor, whose name, I always want to say it's Festus, but that's not right. Um, Festus is the next guy. No, there are going to be two really good names that they're going to take him. Let's see. Felix. Felix and Festus. You can name them your kids that if you want to. If you want to. <laughs> they bring him before Felix. And Felix says, you know, I don't find any fault in it. I haven't done anything wrong. But I don't know. I, I can't just let him go. I don't really know what to do with him. So they send him into jail. Into prison. Two years. Felix forgets about him. Now, it's, it's one thing to go to jail for something that you've done wrong. It's a completely different thing to be put in there because they don't know what to do with you, and then they forget about you. And that's exactly what happened to Paul. Felix, the governor, forgot about him, left him in there with no charges brought against him. Well, Felix goes off the scene, and the, a new governor takes over. It's a guy named Festus. Festus says, is trying to figure out what his job is, what his role looks like, what his responsibilities are. And so he's going over all the paperwork, looking over all the things that Felix has done, all the responsibilities that he had, and he comes across this, this uh, document of some sort that has Paul's name on it. But it doesn't have any charges. It doesn't say why he's in jail. And so Festus says, hey, there's this guy named Paul. He's in prison. I don't know why. I need to question him. I need to find out what's going on with this guy. So Paul comes before the governor Festus, 
And before Festus has anything to say, before he can question him or do anything, Paul uses kind of a loop in the Roman law. He uses this kind of a loop that, as a Roman citizen, he appeals to Caesar. And so he comes before Festus. Before Festus can say anything, he says, as a Roman citizen, I'm appealing my, uh, my, my uh, trial, my, my, uh, all the, the things that have been brought against me, I'm appealing that to Caesar. I want to go to Rome, and I want my trial to be heard by him. The good thing is, you have somebody that's not right there in the city hearing the, the trial or hearing the, uh, the, the, the case. The bad news is, whatever Caesar says goes. There is no appeal beyond him. And Caesar at this time was a guy named Nero. And we know that guy was a little bit strange. But Paul appeals to Caesar. And uh, gets on a boat and heads off to Rome. On his way there, he gets on a boat and he's, he's, he's headed towards the other side of the Mediterranean Sea. He's shipwrecked. It's a, it's a mess. Most people don't survive that, but Paul did. He makes it to land. He gets there. The Bible tells us that the, the locals, wherever he was shipwrecked, where he landed, uh, helped him out. But it was cold, so they decided to start a fire. Paul's helping the fire get started, gathering some sticks, and a, a, a viper bites him in the hand. Most people don't survive, but Paul did. It's kind of a humorous kind of uh, uh, story that the, that the writer, Dr. Luke, is giving us, is writing us. He says, the people think that this guy must have kicked off some god somewhere. Because nobody gets shipwrecked and then is subsequently bit by a viper. Unless God, some little G God, is mad at him. But he survives. And he moves off, he heads off to Rome, and ultimately arrives there. Now, he gets to Rome before his charges get there. So he stands before uh, an official, and the official says, I don't even know why you're here. I don't know what they've sent you here for. I don't know what you've been charged with. I don't understand why you're even here. But I can't let you go. So what I need you to do is I'm going to put you under house arrest. I'm going to, I'm going to latch uh, a Roman centurion to your wrist or to your ankle, and he's just going to hang out with you until we find out what the charges are. Well, Paul has been in Rome for three days. Three days. And he invites all the Jewish leaders to come to his house so he could share the gospel with them. And the Bible says that some responded to their need for a Savior, but many did not. But Paul leveraged every opportunity for the sake of the gospel. And we pick up the story. While Paul is under house arrest, the last two verses in the book of Acts, here we go. It says this, he lived there, that's Paul, two whole years. That's two additional years. So here we are, Paul has been in prison for four years and he has never had one charge levied against him. He has been unjustly imprisoned for four years. Now here's the cool thing. This is how God works. He, he, uh, just this, now, this week I had a conversation how God, I'm praying that God will, will show us how he works all things, even negative situations for his good. 
Paul was under arrest for four years. No charges brought against him. And he used that opportunity to write most of the New Testament that we read. And so Paul used that, leveraged that opportunity for something greater. So he's, under, he's in prison for two whole years at his own expense. And welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Paul took every opportunity that God gave him to leverage it for the sake of the gospel. Most historians think that Paul eventually was released this time, and he heads off to Spain for a very, very short trip. He is rearrested, brought back to Rome, and is under trial before Nero a second time between AD 62 and AD 67. Nero this time finds him guilty, has him escorted outside of the city of Rome, and he's beheaded. And Paul's desire to share the gospel, to move the gospel forward, is ultimately realized to the end of his life. The movement of the gospel is unprecedented. That in one generation, it would go from 120 people on the side of a mountain to the entire known world, at least having heard about the gospel. At least having heard about this man named Jesus, who lived perfectly, who died, and who rose victoriously. It was unprecedented. How did that happen? Well, I know the, the church answer, the pastor answer is that the, the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit moved. And that is true. But just as true is this. Every single person on the side of that mountain understood that it was their job, that it was their commission, that it was their calling to take the gospel to the people that God put in their path. Every single one of them. And so they went about their daily work. The people that, were, that, that came into their lives, that crossed their path, they shared the gospel with. And those people understood, that the, the, those new believers understood that it was their job, it was their commission, it was their calling to take the gospel to the people that were in their circle of influence. And on and on and on and on it goes until the entire known world in one generation has heard about the good news of the gospel. It was unprecedented, and it will never happen again. It crossed boundaries that nations put up to divide themselves. It crossed cultures. It crossed socioeconomic lines. It was unprecedented. And as I've tried to say throughout this entire series, now it's our turn. You can trace your spiritual lineage back to 120 people 2,000 years ago, face-to-face -face with a risen Savior. And every generation since then took the commission seriously to take the gospel to the world. Every single generation understood that it was their job, it was their calling, it was their commission to move the gospel forward to the ends of the earth, telling people who may have never heard the gospel or who have heard the gospel, but in previous times have rejected it, 
They understood it, that it was their job. It was their calling. It was their commission. It was their turn. To move the gospel forward. Boldly proclaiming the Galeon, the good news of a risen Savior. And so today, it's our turn. Let me just give you four ways that I could come up with practical steps for us to boldly move the gospel further for our time such as this. Number one is this. Four ways that we can boldly move the, the gospel forward. Number one is this. By being bold in our sharing. There are people in your circle of influence, in your neighborhood, in your, in your office, at your baseball field, at your little league football field, that God has placed a burden on your heart. And you've just never shared with them. It would be my encouragement that this week you would be bold in your sharing. That you would understand, just as the first century believers understood, that it's my turn. Every, every generation since has taken up the mantle to move the gospel forward. Now it's your turn. So my first encouragement would be that you would be bold by in your sharing. That you would move the gospel forward. And then you would take the opportunity to invite them back with you here. Next week you'll see church in a completely different way. You'll understand things will matter to you that have never mattered before because somebody who has not been to church before is with you or has not been in a long time. You will see church completely different. Who uh, hoping you'll be hoping you'll be on your drive over. You'll be hoping you'll be praying. I sure hope Doyle's at the front door because he makes me feel like I'm welcome. And I hope my fight my neighbor. I hope my neighbor who's never been to church before has the chance to meet him. I sure hope somebody is at the, the, the check-in center and they're on their game today because this, this family that I'm bringing has never been to church before and I want everything to go smoothly. You'll see church in a completely different way if you're bold and you're sharing this week. Secondly is this. You'd be bold in your volunteering. Kind of leads directly into that. You'd be bold in your volunteering. There's a few... People that from the day one you've been serving in some capacity. Worship, welcome, Wellspring Kids. Others of you, you've been around here for a while. And, and, and for whatever reason you haven't jumped in, I would encourage you to take the opportunity to jump in and to volunteer. In some capacity, in some way. The last two Sunday nights, have ha- I have had the best spiritual conversation with Grayson that I've ever had in my life. That I've ever had in his life, excuse me. We talk about the gospel constantly in our home. When they wake up, when they go to bed, all throughout the day, we are constantly talking about the gospel and how it's undeserved. And it doesn't matter if you if you mess up. Jesus loves you anyway. He died for that. He forgives us for that. Daddy is just like you, Grace. I mess up every single day, and the gospel is big enough to forgive me. I mean, we talk about it constantly, but the best two spiritual conversations I have ever had with my son are are the last two Sunday nights that he was going to bed. And it was a direct result of you sharing the gospel, volunteering in Wellspring Kids. As a dad, I cannot thank you enough. 
He understands his need for a Savior. He understands that, that he needs to be forgiven. He's not in a place yet to completely uh, get it and, and give his life to Christ, but we're constantly having that conversation day after day after day. And the two best conversations I've ever had with him are a direct result of you serving in Wellspring Kids. Thank you. But we need more of you. Andy Stanley says it like this. Our desire is that we would place an anchor so deep into their heart that they won't drift away from it when they reach teenage years. That's my prayer for my kids and for yours. And that it would happen right here in Wellspring Kids. That every week you would show up into your classroom and your desire would be, I, want to, I just want to place an anchor so deep in these tender, tender hearts that when they grow up, they don't go very far. They can't. And I, be, I am beginning to see that happen in my seven-year-old son. And a large part of it is you. A large part of it are the people that are back there right now. Mary Jo told me when she came up to the front before she had to leave for, some, for, for, for whatever reason, that there are 40 people back there, 40 kids back there, that are hearing about the gospel. Anchors are being placed into their heart right now. And we need more of you. Another opportunity next Sunday night at our family meeting. Five o'clock, just kind of a little plug. Hopefully you'll be there. <laughs> we're going to have another opportunity to volunteer to serve. We're going we're gonna to give you an opportunity to be a part of foster care here in this area. And, and not as just as a family, although I'm praying that some of you would say, hey, we need, we need more foster. Uh, I know we need more foster families in this area, and we're going to sign up. But there's going to be other opportunities that you're going to hear about. Uh, getting ready for Christmas. It's not too soon to talk about, to, to have that conversation. Uh, storing up some different places. Uh, refilling different places that families go to get clothes and to get shoes. You're going to have a chance to hear about that next Sunday night. Another opportunity to volunteer. One way that you can... Move the gospel forward in the time that you've been given, following the example of the first Christians, the first generation believers, is by serving. I mean, excuse me, by volunteering. Being bold in your sharing, being bold in your volunteering. Number two, or number three, excuse me. Being bold in your generosity. The, the third way that you can be bold in moving the gospel forward is in your generosity. It's living, I, I talked about this before, it's living your life with a hand open. God, whatever, all the resources that I have come from you anyway. So I'm just going to live my life as, a, as an open hand. God, if you want to give me a lot, a lot of resources, go ahead. And I'm going to use them for the sake of your gospel. If you want to take those all the way, that's fine. I'm going to use whatever you have, have left behind for the sake of the gospel. One thing that I can say, I can say very, very boldly, is God does not need your money, and I can even tell you that Wellspring doesn't need it. Because here's what I know. Whatever God wants to do through us is going to get done. He does not need me showing up every Sunday morning to share His Word. If He wants to get something done, He will get it done. He does not need us tipping Him every week. If He wants something to get done, it will get done. The question is, are you being generous 
with the resources that he's given. I would never ask you to do something that we don't do as a family. We, we try our desires to be generous, first and foremost, through this church, giving the first of everything that we're given, and then also in other ministries that we partner with. My desire, I'm not always good at it. I don't always live my life completely with, with my hand open, but my desire, my heart's desire, is that my life would be live like this, and God can put in whatever he wants, and he can take it away. And either way, it would be blessed to be his name. Are you being generous? Following the example of the first generation believers in moving the gospel forward, the last one is this. Being bold in your faith. I told the first hour two ways that I'm being bold in my faith. Let me read you what I put in my notes first. It says, I want, I want you to believe with me that God is for us and that the best is truly yet to come. And here's how I'm being bold in my faith. In following the, the, the example of the first generation believers, I'm being bold in my faith in two ways. Two prayers. Number one is this. This past week, I read a magazine article from a missionary who said that in the Middle East about 10 years ago, uh, they would be excited if they heard one of one person, heard the name of one person who had become a convert to, 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 to Christianity and given their lives to Christ. They said today they cannot even keep up with the number of people that have given their lives to Christ in the Middle East. Uh, my prayer is that, that that would continue and it would move to the United States. That's been my prayer. The second one is this, and a little bit closer to home. My second bold prayer in faith is this, that God would take a church building that is being underutilized in our community. And in the next two years, they would come to Wellspring and they would say, hey, we've got this building. We can't even pay the bills. Do you want it? And then we would ask some of you over the course of about six weeks, you and in the first hour, and over the course of about six to eight weeks, we'd ask you to just pray. God, is that something that you would be, want me to be a part of? Start uh, Starting to help plant this new church across campus, across town, wherever that building ends up being. I'm praying that in the next two years that that would happen. Boldly pray that the gospel would move forward and I would be a part of it in southwest Missouri. And so my invitation would be that you would join me boldly praying these prayers in faith that God would use us just as he did the first generation believers to move the gospel forward in our cultural context. So, you'd be bold in your sharing, bold in your volunteering, bold in your generosity, and bold in your faith. We We'll take the man. We will understand, just as the first century believers understood, that right now, it's our turn. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray that we would move the gospel forward to the ends of the earth, whatever that looks like, for the sake of your name. In Jesus' name that we pray. And for your glory.